Well, good morning. I'm, uh, I'm Simon. I'm one of the leaders here. And I work partly for the church and partly for the university in Oxford, the University of Oxford. Uh, so I thought I ought to give a little bit of introduction to myself. Whilst I'm married to Carol, I have two children. James is age 21 and Sophie is age 12. Sophie, you may have seen earlier as one of the stewards who went out before she could do the offering. <laughs> Um, and uh, James lives in Oxford still, very much part of our family. Um, in the church, um, I have a couple of days a week I work for the church. For those of you who don't know or haven't come across that, I'm, I have this glorious title of chief executive of the charity that we run, uh, which is Oxfordshire Community Churches and comprises 12 churches across Oxfordshire and a school that we run in Whitney. And I've been brought in to change that charity and make it into four smaller charities because it's all grown a bit big and complicated. So some crazy people thought I might be quite good at doing that sort of thing. So that's what I'm currently doing for part of my time. And then I work for the Oxford Church part of the time. That's two days a week. Three days a week, I do something completely different. And I work for the university as an innovation fellow and I work with the space sector. So if you want to know, if you're a student and you want to know anything more about wacky space sort of stuff, I could be the guy to talk to. This last summer, I, we, I arranged hosting, along with some other guys, a, an eight-week intensive period for researchers from across uh, the world who were bringing together artificial intelligence, machine learning type techniques together with space data and space uh, science. And they were trying to crack some of the problems that NASA has and that the European Space Agency has in making use of their data. So we locked them away for eight weeks, either in California, where most of the Oxford students preferred to go, or in Oxford, where most of the other students preferred to go. <laughs> and we locked them away for eight weeks, near, nearly locked them away. I think they still had a good time. And they were cracking some really difficult data problems for, for NASA and ESA. Um, one of the examples that came out of the ESA one, which I was really looking after, was one of the challenges which organisations like UNICEF have is that they are trying to spot where refugees are moving around the world, and they're, and they're on the move all the time. And they came to us and said, could you, using satellite imagery, pick out where those refugee encampments are, these temporary settlements are, because what we'd like to do is see how these people are moving and where they're going to. And of course, these settlements are not normal buildings. They're tents or they're some form of uh, movable structure, and they're quite difficult to do. So we got some bright people to have a go at trying to automate how you could spot these from satellite imagery and then provide the data to UNICEF. And we're working over the next few months to try and help them develop effectively an app that they could use in any country to help them to focus where they deliver aid and where they engage with people. So I get involved in that sort of thing. And then this last week, we were working out how you could send a satellite up into space with some advanced software that we've developed that would help it to autofocus. And I was also talking about quantum computing and space and how you could use future quantum computers that don't really exist very much yet in how you could use them with space data. So I get involved in all sorts of things, which is really good fun, and I'm happy to talk to students who might be physicists, mathematicians, engineers, whatever, if you're interested in that sort of thing. I, in, my, in my job to um, work with the churches, I, I spent some time on uh, Friday um, with some of our churches in the south region of the county. So this is um, Henley, Abingdon, uh, Wantage, Swindon, and 
where was the other one? Uh, Didcot, that's right. Oh, the, it was in Didcot, actually. I discovered that they, um, those group church leaders, they like cheese an awful lot. We had so much cheese. I like cheese as well. So I had a lot of cheese. They particularly seem to like goat's cheese, so I don't quite know why, but there we go. So um, I have some fun in my jobs. I was talking with them about what it's like being their community and where they're going as well, but I just remember mainly the cheese. Uh, um, So I interact with a lot of people. So when it talks about being called to people, I'm one of those guys who seems to have a lot of people around in all those different jobs. Sometimes it's quite a lot for your head, actually, to be able to get around everything and all the different people and all their technical things that they're doing as well. But nevertheless, we're all called to people, and that's what I'm really wanting to talk about this morning, is how we're called to people and what that means for us. And I hope just to unpack a bit about what God may be calling us to, each of us, uh, in the days ahead. So, what? there we go. That's not the right slide. There we go, that's the right. I went backwards. That was the last slide that I was going to pray at the end. So, what sort of people are we called to? Are we called to the 7.442 billion people globally? That's a 2017 figure. Uh, Are we called to the 154,600 people in Oxford? We can do big numbers, but that's a bit too much for us, probably. (laughs) We need to zoom in a bit more. So I got this off the internet, and I found it quite interesting. Some geeky people, who I like very much, have done some work on working out what the average amount of people you connect with in your life is. So on average, we live 78.3 years. Most of us remember people after the age of five. And assuming that we interact with three new people daily if we're in a city, and then you multiply that all up, you kind of get a London Olympic Stadium worth of people who you might connect with in your lifetime. 80,000 people. That's connecting with. That's kind of not quite getting to know. Whoops, still going the wrong way. If, on the other hand, and I'll blow this up in a sec you look at actually how many people you will have an impact on in your life. It turns out there's three types of people that you'll have an impact on. Your colleagues around you, whether that's students or whether that's uh, people you work with, your family, and they've done some more numbers around that, and your friends, for which there's a special number called the Dunbar number, because this guy who is called Robin Dunbar and is an anthropologist and evolutionary psychologist who, if you're reading psychology at Oxford, you may come across because he heads the Social and Evolutionary Neuroscience Research Group, which sounds very exciting. He has done a whole load of work on primates and humans to work out how many people you could interact with. Now, that seemed an amazing thing to do, and he comes up with the number of 150, a nice round number. Apparently, it's also proportional to your brain size. So if you're another form of primate, you might have uh, less uh, people you engage with. But hey, uh, that's what they've been looking at. Um, So he reckons that you'll have basically 150 people in your life who you'll really impact who are friends, maybe 14 who are family, and on average 25 who you work with. And then the bottom category, that actually says users and customers, because I nicked it off something where they were talking about businesses. You might say, then there's a whole load more if you're in church or in mission or something like that. There's a whole load more people. But you're talking roughly, uh, roughly a couple of hundred people who you're likely to have an impact on in your life. And some of them will be part of a community like this, 
and some of them won't at all and be a part of other parts of your life. But maybe I thought that might help you put some context around it. We need a bit of biblical context as well, don't we? It's all very well talking numbers. I talk with people who talk numbers all the time. Let's talk about the Bible a minute. So there's a couple of scriptures here which really underpin this. This follows on from what Lois was talking about last week. She was talking about intimacy with God and being called to God. I'm talking about intimacy with God and being called to people. So this is what Jesus says. Jesus replied in Matthew 22, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. That's the bottom line. If we're called to people, it's the bottom line for us. We've got to love God first. And we can go out to people all we like and interact with people all we like. But we need to love God first. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. That's quite a a statement, isn't it? Everything that was written in the law and the prophets all focuses in on two simple commandments. I think that's good. Jesus made it easy for us. Or perhaps not that easy, because it's still quite a challenging thing to do, to love the Lord your God in those ways and to love your neighbor as yourself. But he's boiling it down to the real basics. And that's the heart of, if there's anything to take away from Scripture this morning, it's that. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. That's God's call. Anne was talking to me this morning about something that she had done this, this week where God had prompted her. Anne, where, where are you? I can't see you. Can you just come up and could I have a mic, please, Al? She said, something happened to me this week and I felt maybe I should share it with you. And I thought, that sounds really good. So would you mind coming up so people can see your face or whatever? <laughs> there we go. That's fine. Um, yeah, when we were praying for Simon this morning uh, about this talk, um, I was reminded in the week going to work. So I think I've struggled in the past about seeing work as a mission field, which it clearly is, isn't it? I mean, we're salt and light wherever we go. But on the way, one particular resident, I work at a nursing home at, at Cumnor Hill, was on my heart. So I just prayed for her. And I felt the Holy Spirit say, when you take her breakfast this morning, sing all things bright and beautiful. <laughs> now, I don't have a brilliant voice, not, but that doesn't matter. Um, and I couldn't remember all the words. So I just went one chorus. But anyway, I went in took her breakfast and it was just her and I and I said I've got a song for you from God so I started singing and she joined in and to my shame she she knew all the boy verses (laughs) (laughs) I just started it off and she (laughs) finished it and she said do you know what that's my favorite hymn as a child going to Sunday school she's in her 80s um and a little tear went down her her face bless her And the lovely thing is, she ate her breakfast, and then later that morning, where she'd been poorly for a few days, she actually wanted to get up and be a part of all the activities that were going on that day. Um, And I just reminded, when I spoke to Simon, that we know it's not us, but even just the most simple things, I think it's just about being open and saying, use me, what can I say, what can I do, how can I touch either my colleagues or the people that I work with? And that was all it was. It was just very simple. Holy Spirit just said, sing. All things bright and beautiful. <laughs> Great. Thank you. I want to give that back to Al. Great. Isn't that good? 
So there's your challenge. Where can you fit in all things bright and beautiful on Monday morning? <laughs> no, that's really great, isn't it? And that's God just prompting Anne in that way just to reach out to a lady who, for whom that was the perfect thing to do, wasn't it? Um, and you just think God's amazing in many situations how he can touch us and use us just at that point where someone needs that. And wasn't Anne brave in, in singing to her? I'm not, I'm not quite sure what environment I would be willing to sing to somebody. Uh, but that's great. And I love the fact that she knew all the other verses as well. Fantastic. So that's a little th- something about loving your neighbor as yourself. It, it was a simple thing. It was a song in that instance. We can think of countless other ways in which we could touch other people's lives. Who is our neighbor? For Anne, her neighbor was someone she was working with that, that day. It might be our colleagues, it might be our friends, it might be our family. I've got a few more stories later on of a few more areas in which God's used me in that. So I think of it as this being called to people is a journey. Someone was talking about a journey earlier on this morning. And I'd like to portray this as a journey. Some illustrations from my own journey, but also just walk us through what it is in terms of this journey of being called to people because I don't think it's like we're at one static point in our lives with nothing more to learn or, or anything like that. I think it's that we're always learning and there's always new things for us and I'd love us to just think about that together. So I wanted to start with getting started, which is logical, um, and then growing with people and lastly finish off with some thoughts about how we go further than we've been so far in being called to people. Next week, we've got J.B. Masinde talking to us. The week after that, we've got the third of these uh, areas, which is called going beyond, so called called beyond, rather. So um, Lois did called to God, I'm doing called to people, then it's called beyond. So there'll be a lot more about how we're called beyond ourselves as a community then as well. So getting started, well, for me, that was being born again. Um, I don't know about you when that that happened for you, whether that's happened for you yet. That was quite a significant thing for me and also started me on this journey of being called to people, as I suspect it did with others of you. I was 17. I was in a big tent. It was on a rugby pitch in Canterbury, in Kent. And it was 9.20 p.m., on the 23rd, 28th of July, 1983. And I was in a meeting where someone was asking whether anyone wanted to know Jesus. I had been growing up in a, a, a Methodist church. I'd been to church, but I'd never been asked about that. I'd gone along to this camp, which was little bit like we are today, but a little bit livelier, actually, than we, are to, we were today. And I'd seen a community of people that I was attracted to, because this was beyond what I had experienced. And these people had a level of joy, uh, excitement, engagement with God that was really attractive and I hadn't known before. So I suppose I, you could say I was called to people at that point, but actually more than that, I was called to God. So going back to the, the God and other people thing, There is a call to God first, and that was what I I was called to. But the attractiveness of people really made a difference with me. I 
I, I, I made a commitment. I didn't quite know what I was doing. I had put my hand up and prayed a prayer. What do you do next? So there's a journey, which many of us have been on, but that journey got unpacked by being with people and being called to them. In particular, there was a, a guy who became my best friend, who was my best man when I got married, Dave, who'd been a Christian a few years longer than me, and we used to pray together every couple of days, and we would do our prep for our A-level, our, our A-levels, our, our study for that. We would do that together. We would challenge each other. We would pray more. <laughs> we would worship singing and dancing in his bedroom, much to the consternation of his mother. Um, we would do all sorts together. He was a guitarist, so it could work quite well. But when you're guitaring and dancing in the room, it's a bit mad. So we were like that a bit. Um, that was good fun. That, to me, was the first kind of mini-community, mini-called to somebody, called to be with someone else in my life. And I, I don't know where you're at in your life, whether you're at the start of a journey with Jesus or whether you've not even started yet and you'd quite like to. But I found that intimate connection was really, really important. I would say it did me good as well. My mock A-levels, I got a certain set of grades. I became a Christian and studied with my friend and prayed, and all my grades went up by two points. So it recommended for you, anybody. <laughs> and so my, my life was really changed. I had, a, had actually a quite a difficult uh, teenage years. My mum had died at the age of 12, and I think I'd had difficulty between the ages of 12 and 17. And it was as though God just turned it around for me when I became a Christian at 17. And suddenly there was a fresh purpose and meaning I also got thrown into leading a youth group immediately, having just become a Christian. In fact, it was one month later that my youth leaders left the church. They moved. So I was in leadership within a month, which was a bit crazy. But fortunately, a couple of other people had been a Christian a bit longer than me. Um, and I, was, I found myself in a community. That it was a youth group, as, as it happened. That was my community at that point in life. And I prayed for them every single day for, for the year until we went on the same camp the following year. And my friend Dave was praying for them as well. And the, all of the youth group gave their lives to Christ. They all became Christians the following year. That was the next opportunity there was. And it was amazing just being part of that community and really finding, because I was praying for them every year, God was, every day, God was changing my heart for them and gave me a passion for them and and I've been challenged about that recently, about praying for people in that sort of a way. Because at that time, my life was uncluttered except for A-levels. <laughs> and uh, it was, um, I had time and I made time to pray for people. And it was transformative on people's lives. And I, I know several of them are still walking with God now, which is very exciting. So I don't know what that sort of early stages of a journey with you is, has been, but there's this being captured by God and connected with people. We're born again into a family, and it's very important that we recognize we're not, we don't become Christians to be an island or an individual, become part of a family. And... I think for some of us, that can take a little while <laughs> to, um, to sink in and take a while for us to become part of that family. Maybe various things have happened to us that make that more difficult. 
I'll read you a quick scripture from John where Jesus says, now I'm giving you a new commandment, love each other. Just as I've loved you, you should love each other and your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. I find that an astonishing statement. Prove to the world. It will show those around us that we are Jesus' disciples by the way we love one another. We're called to people. We're called to one another within a church to be family and to love one another in this way. I've read those words many a time, but when you read them again, you just think, wow, that is quite something. That's the way God has designed things so that our love for one another shows the rest of the world what it's all about. <laughs> what all, all about being part of this family that is so amazing. What does it really look like? Well, there's a famous scripture in Acts. That I'd like us, I, I will just read it, but I'd like you just to look at with me. We quote this one whenever we, in fact, Lois quoted it last week. We quote it whenever we're thinking about what community really looks like. All, it's, it's in the New Living Translation, so it's slightly different to the NIV if you're used to that. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshipped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. We can read that and go, oh, that's really nice. That's great. They were having a good time. A deep sense of awe came over them all. I think that must be quite a thing. Have you been in a place where a deep sense of awe comes over you? Back a few years, we were at a camp in Stoneley. And we went to a, a meeting where they were going to play a tape from a meeting that had gone on amongst some Inuits in northern Canada, where the Holy Spirit had come. And this was a bit of a peculiar meeting, because we're all sitting in a hall, standing in a hall like this, but there's nothing to look at, because it was just a tape. And they played this tape, and these people were worshipping, not in English, in whatever language the Inuits speak and the Holy Spirit came down on a group of a few thousand of us that, in that hall it was bigger than this hall and I for the first time experienced what I would call a corporate awe of God's presence it was like it was like a stillness and a weight of God that meant that if you had your hands out like this you could feel there was something push, almost pushing them down. And people then started to fall over. People started to cry. People started to engage with God at a level that 
perhaps they hadn't done before or perhaps they hadn't done for a while. And there was an awe in that place of God. And people didn't want to go anywhere. We were just standing, sitting or lying in, in a hall. And I experienced that sort of awe. And when I read this, I think, I wonder if that was a beat like that. And I wonder if you've experienced that awe in a corporate setting. You know, sometimes you might feel something in your room at home or whatever, but this was an amazing thing that these people were experiencing. And I found that what it was doing is God just was sovereignly doing things like setting people free of stuff, healing their hearts from things. You know, people were going through stuff, and it was like you didn't really need a ministry team of people to pray with people because God came and did it. I kind of want that for us and the way things could be for us, where God just moves. There's this awe. Yes, there's them miraculous signs and wonders. You know, that's pretty amazing. Do you think we could see that in our lifetime, or do you think that was just for then? <laughs> I think we could see that in our lifetime. I think we could see that here. I want to see that here. I don't want to be a pew filler, a, a, a sitter in church. I want to actually meet with God's people and meet with him like this. <laughs> they went on to sell their property and possessions and shared it all. <laughs> that, that's an interesting one for us, isn't it? wonder what that would look like in a modern day and how we would do that. Um, and they worshipped together each day. and met. For, so they, they seemed to have this combination of meal. They had lots of meals together, didn't they? And they, and they also were just... Sharing everything. Those are probably the two things that really come out of that. That's quite interesting because meals are quite the ordinary thing. It doesn't have to be a meeting where we're, we're in the awesome presence of God and all sorts of things are happening. It can be that we're eating together. So we, are, I'm part of a group called Kin. We, we're one of the communities in the church and we eat together every time we meet, every couple of weeks. There is actually something there, isn't there, when you're eating together of God and I want more of that, more of his presence in that. So this is some of the flavor of what it could be like for us in terms of being in that, in that sort of situation. What's your story? Where are you at with that sort of thing? What does that make you feel like? I wonder whether maybe it makes you feel somewhat nervous when you think of an awesome environment. Or maybe it, it's tugging at a longing in your heart to be something, part of something more and to be called to be part of a community that looks like that. Maybe it's scary. I just want to encourage you just to ponder that, just to think about where, where you could be at when you hear a story like I shared. Growing with people. So I just described to you a bit of my earlier experience. I think my main experience following that of community, which some of you will engage with particularly, was at university, where I was suddenly called to be part of a broader community. I was no longer in my little youth group with a dozen of us in, in a home church. I was actually part of a much broader student community. I was joined in with a Christian union. And I found family and community with my future wife's flatmates and her, which was very convenient for me, I used to eat all their food very regularly. <laughs> I, I, I was quite hungry because I did quite a bit of sport and quite a bit of other things. And 
I ate them out of house and home a bit, but there was just a goodness there. I did make a few mistakes. I even went out with my future wife's best friend for a while, which was interesting. <laughs> Until I saw the light and changed. <laughs> and, uh, and then that was a good move. <laughs> and she's happily married to somebody else. Um, I started to really connect with this community, not just through girls and going out with them, uh, but rather through just feeling part of a community that I'd not experienced before. And you know what university life is like. The intensity of it can mean you actually form really deep relationships with quite a lot of people. And that was my experience. And I just wanted to encourage those of you who are at university now, there is that opportunity for you in this season of life. It can change quite after, after a while when you get into working life. And I found that transition between university and then getting married and then trying to join in with a church as, as a couple, even though we were going to the same church we'd been at for a while as students, there was a different flavor to that. And it just felt different and took us a little while to get into it. So can I encourage you, if you've just moved here or if you're going through that sort of a transition, you really probably just need to find people who are life to you and a sense of where God is at for you. Because we can try and fix it. I've tried to fix it by being in what was a, a community group in our locality, and it just didn't click with us. And then we found a community group that was where we really did click. It was a bit mad, but it was uh, nevertheless somewhere where we, where we connected well. So I want to encourage you, if you're thinking of that uh, transition, think about where you fit. Find where you fit. It's really important for you in this stage of your life. We joined in with this bit mad community group. We, we were led by a guy who that year was the number one double glazing salesman for Everest Double Glazing, the largest double glazing company in the UK. Now, if you go back a few decades, double glazing salesmen had a certain reputation, you may remember. They were the kind of, they were a bit... Yeah, they'd sell you some stuff, you know, you, and they'd, they'd kind of get down in there with you and, and they would try and palm various things off with you and there were some dodgy double glazing salesmen. All sorts of things were going on with double glazing in those days. <laughs> Nevertheless, this guy was both a Christian and the top double glazing salesman. So what was it like being in a community group with the top double glazing salesman? What do you think he sold as well as double glazing? <laughs> He didn't really sell Jesus. That's not really fair on him. But he was an evangelist, very much so. And we found that it was an interesting experience as a young couple joining in with this stuff. Because he said, well, we need to get to know one another a bit before we go out and talk to people about Jesus. So that's what this meeting is about now. Hello, everyone. And they said, what I've done is I've fixed up for us to go, and at this time we could go and knock on doors in university halls of residence. I, I, I fixed up for us to do that every night next week, and then we're holding a meeting at the end of the week, and we're going to share with people about Jesus, and they're going to pray. And we were like, what on earth have I bought into this time, eh? You know, and this was my first experience of being alongside someone I would call an evangelist. He was nuts, really. And... He was so good, as you might expect, at talking to people. Um, and what we found was, very, very quickly, he would be 
seeing people born again and then sort of, I don't know, sort of throwing them over his shoulder. And we were the ones who were the next in line to catch these people, figuratively speaking. And we ended up with all these people who'd just become Christians. And, and it was like, well, disciple them then. I'm off to the next one, you know. And you're like, this is crazy. So I had to learn sort of on the fly how to disciple people who'd just become Christians, which was an entertaining experience. Fortunately, these guys had a large house and, and, and lots of food was always cooked at their house. So you could kind of be part of this melee together, which was our experience of being called to people a bit beyond the church. That was our, that was our first experience. Actually, that guy, John, his son, Jem Todd, is, part of the, is one of the family uh, parents of uh, Tyndale, uh, in Tyndale. So if you meet Jem Todd... He was about this high, and he's about this high now, but that was what his mum and dad did with us back a a while ago. (laughs) So God started to change me from being somebody who was primarily focused on myself, my close friends, maybe maybe a CU community, maybe a few others, into someone who could actually see there's a way of touching other people and seeing their lives changed. And I'd not seen that before. Very exciting. So we moved a few years down the line to Canterbury. We had yet another experience. I think God was maybe emphasizing something in me for this. We were leading one of these groups now, community group, house group, call it what you will. And we had a a couple called Gordon and Katie in it. They were a young couple. They'd got married halfway through both of their degrees, which was quite a crazy thing to do, but they loved one another, and they were brilliant together, and they did really well. And it turned out they were both evangelists. I picked up another couple. How do I do this? I don't know. I kind of either get connected to them one way or the other. I found myself with these people, and we said, well, let's do an Alpha course. So they go and invite nine people to Alpha, nine people who come to Alpha between them. In fact, one of them was even someone who Katie had met in the bookshop in the afternoon, and she said, come along to Alpha. She'd never met this person before in her life. Come along to Alpha. We're talking about learning to get to know God. And this girl comes along, and she becomes a Christian that very evening. And I'm like, how did Katie do that? That's amazing. Uh, And Gordon would be exactly the same. So between them, we had a number of people who made a commitment to Jesus because of these guys. And I learned again that these guys... They're like so much better than I was and anyone else I knew at doing this. So I've kind of got this thing in my head at the moment about there's people who are evangelists and it makes, somehow makes reaching out to people a joy and fun and crazy too, but really great. Vicky Dunn was in that group, who you know now lives in Exeter, Chris and Vicky, and she brought her, her flatmate with her to that Alpha course, which was really, really great. So I've been feeling that God's been on a journey with me about seeing more happen with other people. But that was quite a long time ago still. What's God been up to more recently? What's God been up to with us as a church? Because it turns out we then moved to Oxford and God seems to be up to stuff here. He's been speaking to us prophetically for years about being missional, reaching out to people, seeing other people's lives changed. And it's been quite a journey. There's been, it's been a, a, an interesting experience. Um, 
I first, so I was already primed for this, I think, by God in preparing for this morning. I've been feeling like God's primed me for some stuff. God primed me for being here because he'd already shown me that. And then when we get into mission, I'm rather keen, as most of you know, because I've seen it work in other people's lives, and it's great. We've been on a journey with missional communities, as we've called them, to try and enable us to reach out and touch other people. I went along because we'd heard about these missional communities to a church in Sheffield, St. Thomas, Philadelphia, where they'd got these communities that had ended up being 2,500 people in a church with lots and lots of different communities, all of which were touching different parts of their community around them. And I think we were really struck by how amazing that was. We also had people visiting from other countries who would come and talk about their experience. We went over, six, over two years, we went every six months, several of us in leadership in the church, and we caught something of what God could do through these missional communities and decided that we'd like to have a go. Um, it took us quite a long time in terms of thinking about it, but we implemented it and have done it in, um, in the church here. I think it's fair to say it's been a mixed experience for people. And I want to be honest about that. I think some of us have gone, yippee, this is great, I love it, an opportunity to touch other people. Some of us have gone, well, but we're doing all of that now. Where's the community life gone? Where, how do I feel part of this? I'm not sure I do feel as part of it. And some people may feel, where's the other side of things? So I've got an up in and out. You've got to do this. This is a diagram that they use all the time with these missional communities. But it's quite helpful in just thinking about where we're at with things. Up is up to God. Out is out to people outside of the church and outside of us. And in is people amongst God's, God's family. And, and it's about getting a balance there. And a number of us have felt that maybe the, even the up hasn't been as strong in recent years. And the honest truth is, we're still on a journey about this, I think. I don't know what you think, but I think we've been trying things out still. In my other job, as I described right at the beginning of this talk, I do lots about innovation and working with people who who try things out, and I was in California, and they try it out. They just have a go. What do they say? They say, prepare, fire, aim. If you're in, if, if you're in Silicon Valley, you go with your gun, so to speak. Whereas the British are, prepare, aim, fire. And we try and get everything right first time we do everything, and we struggle when we don't get things right. The Californians, I found, in, in Silicon Valley... They're not like that at all. It's like, oh, we failed. Let's go again, you know. And I feel like that's been part of my struggle in some of this, is this feeling that we maybe don't always get things right immediately, but actually we need to have a go uh, and have a go more. So I'm encouraged and want to, over the coming months and years, to have a go more with God and to try things out in a way that I may not have tried before. Where are we at with this? We're on a journey. I don't think we're changing our journey over time because I think God's called us to touch the lives of others. But I'm sure that there's things we can learn. And a number of us have just been talking recently about what could it look like moving forward. If you've got things to say, say to me or say to Al or there's a few others of us who have been starting to think about how we, how we take things forward over the coming months and years. 
it would be great to hear people's feedback on where you think things are going in terms of connecting with people, both people who we don't know yet and people who we do. Change, changing things is a challenge, <laughs> as we know. There's one more thing that came up for me a couple of years ago. This has been really... Talk about bonkers evangelists. This has been really crazy. I don't know what other people think. The turning. If you've not heard of this, it's basically going out on the streets with a small script on a, a whatever it is, a six or a seven bit of paper, talking to, going up to people and saying, can I just tell you two things? God loves you and he's got an awesome plan for your life. And then going into a short conversation with them and asking them if they want to ask Jesus into their lives. Really strange thing. For me, 30 years ago, I'd volunteered for the London City Mission and tried this sort of thing, and it was as dry as bones. I had a South African guy I was put with in Lewisham in London, and I thought he was going to breathe fire most of the time as an evangelist because he was really stern and really, really vocal with people on the streets about Jesus. And I've got this impression that that was the way that street evangelism worked like that. And I'd also been doing various, I don't know, people had done balloon modeling or painting on the and, and talked about Jesus in the context of that. I'd done that in streets, in you know, city centers and things like that. Not particularly effective. And suddenly from left field, these guys in Reading, just down the road from here, come, come to us and say, well, we've done this. And in a few weeks, we had 2,000 people pray a prayer to Jesus. And we all go... Yeah, right. <laughs> and, and some of us, more like me, go, whoa, how exciting. <laughs> and went to see it, what it was all like. And I'll just tell you a couple of little things on it. I, I, the first time I went, I thought, well, uh, the church in Abingdon, that's part of this south region of churches, is doing this. I'll, I'll go down and I'll just see if this stuff's any good. All these people praying a prayer. So... God was gracious to me, and he put me with a lady who'd just come out of hospital that week after a triple heart bypass. And she had a Zimmer frame with her in order to stand up. She wasn't a very old lady, but had had, had this heart surgery. And they said, well, why don't you go with Brenda? And I was like, all right then. <laughs> Little did I know that Brenda was a powerhouse, despite not being very well, and despite having to stop for breath regularly, as soon as she stopped and looked at people and said, can I just talk to you briefly? They all went, oh, yes, dear. And then <laughs> she would pray with them and she would speak to them in such a way that she won people. And we prayed with a number of people at that time. And I learned from Brenda a lot at that moment. And that changed my feelings about the whole thing from a bit of skepticism and not quite sure to actually this is also something which your average person can do. It doesn't need leaders who are of a certain type. It, it's, it's anybody who can talk to people. So that was really, really good. And then there's been a journey since then, basically, where we've been out on the streets in May last year. We prayed with about 240 people who said they were praying a prayer to ask Jesus into their lives. You know, we're not sure how many of those people have prayed that prayer really, and have become Christians, none of them have been added to this church. So we're not quite sure of all of what God was doing, but I think we were sowing seeds in people's lives, and they were people who may not otherwise ever be able to hear about Jesus. So in terms of being called to people, that I think is part of the mix, 
of what we can do. That way, we're touching people who we may not ever meet again. But that's amazing. I mean, the last time I did it, went up to a couple of guys sitting on Martyr's Memorial on the, on the steps up to it in, in St. Giles. And we just started talking to them. And as soon as we said, God loves you, he's got an amazing plan for your life, and do you know where you'd go when you die was one of the questions. And they went, ah, funny you should say that. We were talking about that on the train from, they'd come from somewhere in Sussex. We were talking about it on the train this morning. Interesting that you should talk to us about it now. God's timing, eh? And I can't get away from the fact that there's God's timing. Lots of us, it's a Marmite thing is our turning, what we've done. Lots of us go, last thing I'd ever want to do in my life. Another, and then a few of us go, oh, that's something quite exciting. I'd really like to do that on a Saturday morning instead of having a lie-in or something like that. It's the honest truth of it is that it's like that. But I felt like what it's done for me is enable me to have those sorts of conversations. We were doing Alpha. The same, this same Alpha, we got to a point, week two or three, where two people wanted to pray to ask Jesus into their life. Lo and behold, I had a script somewhere around in my pocket. I brought it out. This is just the thing you pray with people on the street for. And it was right there, and I knew how to pray it, and I was confident, and it was as though we were able just to pray with a couple of people at that point, which is really good. I've also had a bit of overspill from it. So this is another reason why I think there's something in it, but I'm not quite sure where we go fully with this in the future. So at the same time as we were doing turning, we're, my in-laws come to stay. They're in their 80s. My father-in-law is 84. They're, they're sitting with us, and my father-in-law says, so what about all of this to do with cryogenics and people coming back for life? There was something in the news about a young girl who'd frozen herself in order to come back to life later in, in life. Um, and he goes, I think that's all bunkum, you know, because, uh, so I, I should just say, my, I've not talked to my father or, or mother-in-law about Jesus hardly at all, and they've not talked to us about what we do in church life hardly at all in more than 30 years. My father-in-law says, so I think that's all bunkum about that cryogenics, because there's only one person who could ever rise from the dead, and that's Jesus Christ, isn't it? And I'm like, you know, this is like, they've come for Christmas or Easter or something. I'm like, whoa, this is, this is a really surprising conversation I'm now having. So we just talked about it a bit. And I was kind of caught off guard because I'm meant to be the one initiating such conversations, not him. And it's wonderful, wonderful conversation. And then we had this opportunity. So he, his knee was playing up really quite badly. Um, he's a very active guy, but he... he in walking so much, he, uh, he'd done his knee in. So I said, well, I'm, I'm practicing. Sophie and I, my daughter and I, are practicing praying at the moment for people. Could we, could we pray? Could we practice on you? Timidly, says I. And we pray. And lo and behold, he is miraculously completely healed in his knee. That's a one for conversation, isn't it? And, he, uh, and these are people who don't have that sort of conversation. So you're like, whoa, I've just got to leave it with God and with them. So last week, Carol's mum rings her up and goes, you know, Carol did that laying hands on, on, on Courtney's knee. Well, the other knee's gone now. <laughs> so <laughs> they're coming in a couple of weeks. <laughs> that was... God opening something up at the same time as I was involved in this thing called the turning, which is all a bit crazy. And I just 
felt like sometimes if we step out in something, God opens something up that isn't actually directly related to what we've been doing, but is something else. And I just want to encourage you, Anne did it, didn't she, this week, a little something, and that's opened something up with a lady in, in where she's in a care home. Those are some stories of mine. I'm not always confident in this. I don't always find it works with me. But there are times when God surprises me, like someone else initiates it like that. So can I encourage you to just think about that in, um, in how you're posturing yourself with the turning? If you've been a bit disillusioned with this, to be honest, it's about sowing seeds and gaining confidence and God moving, I think. Um, it isn't largely about adding people to the church at this stage for us, although it has happened with other people. We don't quite know what format to do moving forward, but I think there's something in there. A lot of it comes back to encountering God. Lois was preaching last week about intimacy with God. We do an encounter evening before we go out. I think that's what the difference was between me and my stern South African on the streets of Lewisham and me in the turning, is there's an encounter with God that you then go out filled with the Holy Spirit from rather than trying in your own strength as I was at that point. It also takes us back to something scriptural. All of this stuff about meeting in our homes, and I'm just coming into land here. It, the Lord now chose 72 other disciples and sent them ahead in pairs to all the towns and places he planned to visit. Heal the sick and tell them the kingdom of God is here, is near you now. That's kind of like the turning, sort of. <laughs> and when the 72 disciples returned, they joyfully reported to him, Lord, even the demons obey us when we use your name. That's interesting, isn't it? There's something about going out into these communities which uh, takes us back to Scripture. So lastly, just to say going further, and really all I'm going to say here is, what does this challenge you with? Where does this make you feel like, I want more? Is it more of a community, because I haven't really been close to people in this place? Is it more of actually touching other people outside of my community what might it be for you what could be a next step for you I'm going to leave it there but I've got one prayer I'm just going to read out because I think it's good and I'd like to pray it and for us to pray it um, it's from Paul's letter to the Ephesians where he says I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he's given to those he called his holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honour at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now he is above, far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the one to come. One to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. There's a call on us and I pray that our hearts will be flooded with light so that we can understand this hope and live like that. So, called to people. That's what we're called to. Thank you.